1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 28 this morning. We're wrapping up this book today. And over the last two weeks, we have briefly considered two very like big topics. Uh, we've done a 30,000 foot flyover of these things where we've talked about the second coming of Christ, talked briefly about the idea of the rapture of the church, and last week we talked about the day of the Lord, Judgment Day. And the, the timing and the proper understanding of these end-time discussions, they've been a source of debate since uh, right before Jesus' ascension back into heaven to take His rightful place at the hand of the Father. We don't know any more now, I think, than they did then. In Acts chapter 1, in verses 4-8, through 8, we see this, While He was with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, You have heard me speak about, for John's baptized with water, uh, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So he's, they're asking about end time stuff here. Uh, and he says, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, So this the when Jesus was going to restore the kingdom the way it's supposed to be, set everything right. It's been a question since even before he ascends back to heaven. And now that Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice for sin, now that He's resurrected from the dead, the disciples are asking a question that makes complete amount of sense. They're saying, hey, are you going to wrap this up now? Right? Everything, everything's been done. Right? Salvation is offered because of the cross. It's assured because of the resurrection. So like, are, we, are we done here? Is this going to be the end? Uh, are we getting to the good part yet? And... Depending on your theology of creation, what you believe about you know the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, at, in a best case scenario, sin has been causing problems in the world for a few thousand years at this point, right? When when they're asking this question of Jesus, like they've been battling with sin for their entire lives, as we all have. In a worst case scenario, it's a lot more years than that. Uh, but no matter what you believe about the beginning, the desire to have all that end, to have the, the beauty of Revelation 21 come true, right? The, the desire for that is common. It's a common thought. It's something that uh, that concept of when is this going to end? When are we going to wrap this all up? When are we going to be in the presence of, of Christ forever? It's something that we all think about ever since Jesus left the earth. And I've, I've had those conversations more times than I can count, right? I mean, it seems like... Seems like as the world gets progressively worse, and people they keep coming to me and they keep saying, "We got to be close, right? We got to be close." It could be any time now because look how bad the the world is. And maybe they're right. I'm not saying that it might not be close. Um, the second coming of Christ, we're, we're, we saw last week that it's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be unexpected, and so maybe we're close. So maybe it will be tomorrow. Uh, and that would be great for those who are in Christ if it were tomorrow. But it's not going to be great for those who are far from God. It's going to be terrible for those who are far from God. And so in one way, it is, it's good for us to be excited about the return of Christ. But it is also, I mean, it could be considered a little selfish of us to be excited about that. Because there are many people that you and I know who are going to find that to be the worst day of their existence. And it never gets better. 
from that point forward. Right? So they're longing for a future when all things are brought back into order. And that's not a bad thing. Right? We should all be longing for that day. Uh, when that longing has replaced the mission that we've been given to in Christ, though, we start running into a problem. And that's what we have talked about for the last couple of weeks. The, the Thessalonian church, they, their priorities have gotten mixed up. They're focusing on the wrong things. Paul saw this as an issue uh, for the church at Thessalonica. They were hyper-focused on future things. And so now in our verses this morning, Paul's going to try to rein them back in. Right? Your head is in the wrong place. You're pursuing after the wrong things. And so he's going to try to rein them in by presenting them with practical, everyday instruction about what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at in verses 12 to 28. It's as though Paul is saying, yes, Jesus is going to return. Absolutely. 100%. We can all agree on that. Yes, when he returns, there will be a judgment. There will be judgment day. But in the meantime, you need to get to work. Right? Don't sit around debating this. Don't sit around talking about this because there is work to be done. And what he tells them to work on shouldn't be a surprise to us. Right? So if you take everything that we're getting ready to see in 12 to 28, it's going to break down into two commands. These two commands should not be a surprise if you have listened to me much. It's to love others and to love God. Right? The two great commands, that's all Paul is telling them to do on a regular basis is to love God and to love others. And so I want to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28, and then we're going to talk about what it looks like in this case for us to love others and to love God. And it's in that order that we're going to talk about it. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the word. We're grateful for the Apostle Paul, who was so good at speaking into the lives of these churches and to, so good at at enduring persecution and so faithful to you. And I pray that we would model our lives around him because he modeled his life around Jesus. So help us to do that. Help us to see ways in this passage today that we can be practical in our application of the, the love that you've given to us and the ministry that we have been provided in Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So follow along with me. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 to 28. It says there, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray also for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read aloud to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So here, in this passage, the first thing that Paul addresses is his desire to see the church love those who were called to lead the church. This is kind of awkward for me, right? So I've already talked about the 
the fundraiser that you've done for my family, which this is a good way to show our family that you love us. But here, Paul is saying that you should love me well. <laughs> so um, thank you for the love that you do show. Um, in Paul's words here, we can see that he sets two expectations that center on a church leader. We've got one that is implicit and one that is explicit. All right. Implicit means that it's in the text, but it's not the purpose of the text. Okay. And so there are things in the text that we can deduce. Um, we can see what these expectations are, but this is not directly what Paul is talking about. And then you've got the explicit expectations where Paul is saying very specifically, this is what you are supposed to do. And so um, the implicit expectations are for the church leaders and the explicit expectations are for the congregation. And so for the church leaders, we see in verse 12 that Paul has three expectations for the men who were leading the church. All right, the first expectation is that the men were laboring among the people. So the expectation is that the church leaders are going to do labor among the people and then, but that's kind of nebulous. We have no idea exactly what that looks like. So we have to go to other texts that show us what it looks like for a church leader to labor among the people. And so when we look for that, we're told in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, and Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, the primary responsibility of church leaders, the elders of the church, the shepherds of the church. Uh, in Acts 6, 1 to 4, it says, in those days... As the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and they said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. All right, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, who can appoint, uh, who we can appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So an issue was coming up in the church. It was dividing the unification of the church. And so because the elders of the church need to focus on prayer, they need to focus on the preaching and teaching of the word of God. They appointed those who would be good servants of the church. And those are the ones that they said, hey, go serve the Hellenistic Jews. Go serve the Hebraic Jews. Make sure that there is unity in the church. And so one of the things that we see in the, the laboring for church leaders is the preaching and teaching and prayer for you guys. So we pray and we teach. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, Paul again here says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So here again, we see that the primary role of elders in the church preach the word and to pray and to be equipping the church for the work of the ministry that God has called each person to do. And so we talked about this in the new members class this morning. My job is not to do all the ministry of this church. Right, that can be an expectation in some places. And you guys, I love you for it. You have not put that burden on my shoulders. You seem to understand the idea that every one of us has a ministry. It's not like you're the dude we pay to do this stuff, so get it done. 
Right? My job is not to do all the work. My job is to help you do the work that God has put in your life so that you can reach the people that you are called to reach. I don't have any issues whatsoever. If you've got a question about how to minister to someone, if you've got a question on how to answer a theological question, if you want to bring that to me, I'm happy to equip you to do that. I'm happy to sit down with the person you're trying to share that with if that's what you want to do. But the end goal is for you to be matured in your faith to the point where you can handle this question because you have a relationship with that person and I do not. And so my laboring for you is to study the Word, to prepare the message, to be ready on Sunday mornings to, to preach and to teach, to pray for you as needed, and then I'm going to equip you in whatever way is necessary, but you have to let me know what that is. Right? I, can't, I can't read your mind. I don't know what's going on with that person at work that you're sharing, trying to share your faith with, your neighbor, your, your mom, whoever it is. I, I can't know that unless you bring that to me. And so that's why I'm, I tell you every single week, I'm here all day long on Sunday. If you want to get together and do some of that, I'm here. I go out, grab a bite to eat, and then I'm here from the time that I get back to the time that church starts at 6.30. So if you ever need to get together six between that time, I'm here for you. And that's my job, and that's what I love to do. I would love to equip people to do the work of the ministry that God has put in their life. And that's what Paul says you should expect from your leaders. They should be laboring for this. The next expectation that Paul has for church leaders is that they will be leading the people in the church. All right, so how should a person lead then? Again, we don't know. He just says you should be leading the church. And according to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, we primarily lead by example. Right? It says there, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory in the same way you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. How am I to lead you? Well, if I'm up here pounding on the Bible telling you you need to live like this, like this, and like this, you should be able to expect that I'm doing those things myself. Right? You should be able to expect that I could tell you, follow me as I follow Christ. Right? You're not following me, you're following Jesus. And hopefully I'm reflecting that to you in such a way that when I say, hey, we should do this, you're like, yeah, that guy's, that guy's going after the Lord, we should do that. You should be able to look into my life and see that I am trying to live out everything that I have told you that you need to be doing. And from there, you should say, hey, if he's willing to sacrifice in this way, I should be willing to sacrifice in this way. If he's willing to serve in this way, I should be willing to serve in this way. But if I'm not doing those things, then you should not follow me. That would make no sense at all. But if I'm doing what God has called me to do for you, you should see that and you should be willing to follow. All right, finally, the last thing that Paul expects from church leaders is to be admonishing people. All right, to admonish means, in general, it means to express warnings. It means to express disapproval. Right? So in the case of church leaders, that should occur when people are not living out their faith according to how the Bible says it should be lived out. 
So my job is to know you in such a way that I can speak into your life and say, hey, remember how you are doing this thing that does not go according to the Bible? You should stop that. Right? But I have to know you for that. You can't hide these things from me. Again, I can't read your mind. I can't know what you're struggling with. If you try to come in here with that plastic face and everybody's doing fine and it's hallelujah, praise the Lord, brother, and then you go out and argue with your spouse or your kids or your coworker all the way home. And I can't speak into your life that way. But my job is to not be afraid of you. To be able to speak truth into your life. To be able to say difficult things to you. And for you to, again, you see how much I love you. You see how much I'm trying to lead. You see how much I'm doing labor for you. And so when I speak truth into your life, you shouldn't see that as a personal attack. You should see it as me caring for your soul. And I want to serve you well. That's what all pastors should be doing, according to what Paul says here. And then after this, for the congregation, Paul has these expectations. He says, give recognition and regard to church leaders highly in love because of their work. All right, that's the CSB that says that. The ESV translation says, respect the leaders and to esteem them highly with love. The New Living Translation Honor the leaders, show them respect, and love them wholeheartedly because of their work on your behalf. So the, the pastors, the elders, are supposed to be laboring for you, right? They're supposed to be leading you and admonishing you, and in return for that, you should show respect and love for those who are devoting themselves to your edification, to your sanctification. You should be grateful for these things. All right, so respect church leaders. Think well of them because leading a church is a huge burden to bear when you think about the responsibility that comes with that. So first of all, we have warnings. I have this warning in Scripture from Hebrews 13, verse 17. The author there, we don't know who that is. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Right? I will give an account for you so that they can do this with joy and not grief, right? So that could, because that would be unprofitable for you, right? If, if you become so burdensome to me that I can't serve you with joy, then that is to your detriment, right? That, that, that is taking away from what God has for you. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. So no matter what happens on Sunday morning, no matter what you bring to the table, I walk up here with the burden of knowing that if, if, if I start going astray with this stuff, then God has a stricter judgment for me. So when I bring you hard things, when that steps on your toes and you don't appreciate that, you need to know that I'm doing that because I'm more afraid of him than you. And that will not change. And I hope and I pray that you understand that and that you love me for it. And I'm not, I'm not striving for your appreciation, but I appreciate your appreciation. Right? I'm not going to change what the Bible says. Right? I just deliver the mail. I didn't write it. I'm just delivering. And I appreciate when you appreciate that I do that. And I'm going to strive to do it to the best of my ability. Am I going to fail you 100%? Guaranteed. 
All right, I'll go ahead and take whatever shiny mess that you might see here. It is not there. It is mud that's reflecting. You know, like it's just, it's not. I'm going to let you down. But I am doing the best I can to love you well, to serve you well. And I pray that you can see that love, that you see that respect or and offer respect because of that. All right, so any person who steps into the role of church leadership, they're they're uh, accepting the responsibility of harder, harder judgment and, and more accountability. All right, so that is what the expectations that Paul has already for how to love these people well. The leaders are to love you well. You are to love the leaders well. And then he goes on to talk about how you love each other well. In verses 14 and 15, Paul lists off these action steps. We're not going to dive deep into each one of them. But he says there, uh, the, pe- the people towards one another, you should warn the idol. Remember, there was an issue going on here where they're, they're so focused on the return of Christ, they're so focused on this day of judgment that they stopped working. And Paul says, hey, you guys should not be burdening one another with your life, right? If you can work, you should work. If you can't work, that's fine. The church should support you. But if you can do it, you should be doing it. Right? And he says there, after that, comfort, comfort uh, the discouraged. So we should know, if we're going to be able to comfort you in your, uh, in your discouragement, we have to know what that is. So if you lock all that away, and I, as I said, put that on that plastic face and everything's fine, then we can't serve you well in that. The church cannot serve you well in that. Right? We're supposed to offer comfort to those who are discouraged. We're to help the weak. Right? And all of us are going to be weak at some point in our life. Yes? Have you ever gotten to the point in your life where you've come to the end of yourself and just couldn't do it? You couldn't hang on anymore? You couldn't muster up the, enough effort and strength to be able to succeed at the thing that you're trying? Well, that's what the church is for. That's why the church is such a beautiful expression of the love of Christ for you. You need to be a part of that. You need to let us know that you're weak. And when we have a strength that can pour into that weakness, we need to be allowed to do that. And, you know, if you're one of these people that will not accept help, like that's problematic. That's what the church is for. He says there in number four, be patient with everyone. Everyone. Your enemies. Be patient. Those annoying people that won't get out of your way on the road, be patient. Those people that just somehow hinder what you want to do with your life, be patient. Be patient with your parents that are getting older and maybe not able to do things quite as quickly as, as they used to be able to do. Be patient with your children who drive you absolutely nuts most of the time. Be patient. Be patient with who? Be patient with everyone. He also says, see to it that no one repays evil for evil. Right? That, I mean, it's like he wrote that one for me. Right? Be sure that you don't repay those who are doing evil to you with more evil. Now, we're supposed to respond the way that Christ responded. We're supposed to turn the other cheek. We're supposed to walk the extra mile. We're supposed to bear the extra burden. And when people see that, they wonder why. Why would you do that? Why would you not fight back? Why would you not strive to get even? And in that, we can speak the truth, the gospel truth. Right? I follow Jesus who says that I should forgive you. I follow Jesus who says I should love you. 
And so I'm not going to act that way. He says, always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So because of our sin natures, we have this tendency to go after what is good for me. This is what is good for me. This is what I want. This is how I can serve me. And then Paul here is saying, you need to do what is good for one another. You need to be the least important person in your relationships. You need to strive to love people in such a way that they see Jesus in it. Because what did Jesus gain from our relationship? Absolutely nothing. Right? We didn't offer him anything that he didn't already have. And so he came, he laid his life down for our good. And so we need to lay down our life for the good of one another for every person. And he says this is how we serve one another. This is how we love one another. And then he continues on with this list of action steps. And this is how we love God. He says, first of all, rejoice always. 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 Did you hear that word? Always. Thank you. Always. Rejoice. Always. That difficult day at work. Rejoice. That difficult diagnosis from the doctor. Rejoice. That difficult kid in the nursery at church. Rejoice. Rejoice always. When you get behind the cyclists out here as they start to come out of the woodwork soon. Rejoice. Always. Right? It shows that we have a heart that is aligned with the Lord. When we constantly let our circumstances dictate how we respond to things, we show that we are in the flesh. Right? Go to Galatians 5. Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Look at the fruit of the flesh. You will see that the fruit of the flesh is that it seeks vengeance. It seeks, uh, it's jealous. It gets angry. Right? The fruit of the Spirit is peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. It's rejoicing always. Number two there, he says, pray constantly. Uh, we're supposed to live a life that is seasoned with prayer. Like life should interrupt your prayers, not the other way around. You should be constantly going before the Lord, talking to him, being tapped into that like a taproot on a tree that stays. How are you going to rejoice always? You're going to have a consistent prayer life that gets interrupted from time to time with things in the world. Pray constantly. And he says, give thanks in everything. Everything. That annoying coworker, give thanks. Right? The slow driver, give thanks. Right? Bojangles is notoriously slow. Give thanks. Right? Give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Right? There, there is an attitude that God wants you to have. There's an attitude that God wants you to portray to the world. And He knows that it's the best thing for you. So tap into that. Tap into that through prayer. It says there in number four, don't stifle the Spirit. Right? There are things that go on in this world that we don't fully understand. There are ways that the Holy Spirit works in someone else's life that He doesn't work in your life necessarily. And it is not your job to try to uh, make that shoe away. To explain it away. To say, well, that would have happened anyway. Right? When someone gets moved in the Spirit in the church, it's not our job to look at them. Why would you raise your hand during that song? How dare you say amen to something the preacher said that was good? And it's usually good. Like, how dare you? Stifling the Spirit. Like, we need to be tapped into the Spirit. We need to desire more of the Spirit. 
And so when you see the Spirit begin to move, try to move with it. Instead of trying to push that down because it's a little weird. It doesn't seem real comfortable for you. It's pushing you out of your comfort zone. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. Right? Sometimes. Now, we're not talking about prophecies like the Old Testament prophecies. We're not talking about like God projecting Christ into the future and saying, hey, this is going to happen. That's not the way prophecy works now. Right? But every now and then, I do believe that someone might have a word from the Lord and what we ought to do with that is test it to see if it's true. Right? We obviously don't do it the way that they used to do it in the Old Testament because if you prophesied in the Old Testament and didn't come true, they killed you with rocks. Right? So that's not, that's not what we're talking about here. And so when someone says, hey, I'm not real sure what this means, but I feel like God wants me to tell you this. Right? That is prophecy. Right? That, that is you getting just a little bit of a glimpse into your future from someone else usually, and then you are to test that to see if it comes true. Right? Don't just jump all in. Right? I feel like the Lord says that I see a new boat in your future and a new house in your future and that you're going to have a Rolls Royce. I just I see that if you if you just have enough faith, if you just, you know, do enough good, like I see that in your future. That's garbage. That's not what I'm talking about. But we should test it. Like is is this a word from the Lord? Does this conform to the rest of scripture? Did it come true? Right? Because I'm sorry, if you come to me with something that doesn't come true, the next time you come to me, I'm not listening. We need to test the prophecies. And it says to hold on to what is good. Right? Maybe it doesn't all come true. Maybe it's not all, all there. But there are some good things in it. Right? Maybe it's one of these, I, I've, had, I've had an instance where I was doing counseling with someone and I brought something up. I, it, I wasn't saying, you know, the Lord told me anything, but... This is just something that came up in the, in the form of counseling. And they said, how did you know that? How did I know what? I've been struggling with blank all week long. What made you say that? Like, I, I don't know. I just thought that that was what needed to be said next. And so, you know, I'm not sure that everything else landed in that meeting, but that one did. And they needed to hold on to that because that is good. Uh, when, when the Lord speaks to us and it lands, we need to hold on to that even if we have to shave away all the extra stuff that wasn't there. We hold on to what is good and we stay away from every kind of evil. How do you love the Lord? Right, You become more like Jesus. How do you love the Lord? You walk away from the things that are, I mean, absolutely blatantly sinful in your life. Right, The, the, the book's clear. You do these things, you don't do these things, and you're going to walk away from what God says do not do. Walk away from evil. Stay away from it. Don't allow that kind of stuff into your life. Now, are you going to have to wade into that from time to time to do your ministry? Probably. But that shouldn't be where you are constantly. Right? Surround yourself with the church. Pray up and then go out into the world. But that shouldn't be where we spend the majority of our time. We need to be away from evil. And then lastly, we see him sign off. And he does a very Pauline closeout here uh, where he talks about, he says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. We've talked about sanctification. This is, the, this is becoming more like Christ. And who's doing that work? It's not you, guys. 
Right? The Lord is sanctifying you. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you. Like if you could bootstrap it, if you could pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you wouldn't need Jesus. You wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. And so it's God that is in the process of bringing you to be more like Christ. And we should tap into that, like I said, through prayer, through reading our Bible, through time with the church. And then as we do that, we will see that God is going to bring us to be more and more like Christ. All right, so we've talked about that. He says, may your whole spirit, may your whole body and your whole soul be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Like you can't do that. That's all Jesus. But we should be moving in that direction as much as we can. We should try to be as holy as we can to present that life to God at the end of our life and say, I did the best that I could through the power of the Holy Spirit to be just like you. He says, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. God is the one that called you into salvation. And he is faithful. He's not going to leave you hanging. He will do it. So those of us who have legitimately come to faith in Christ, we will be sanctified. God is not going to leave us where we are. If we find ourselves in the same place for the last 10, 20, 30 years, and there's been no growth, there's been no increase in love of the church, no increase in love for Jesus, no increase in service and time spent in our generosity, none of that has changed in 20, 30 years, you should be concerned. Because God's not going to leave you where He found you. He's going to grow you into the image of Christ. And so we need to do a self-diagnostic and see, hey, am I growing in faith? Do I see myself as more patient than I was before? Am I more self-controlled than I was before? Do I love holiness more than I love evil more than I did before? Now, as I've, as I've said, the more we grow to be like Christ, the more we'll see how bad we really are. Right? It's just a, it's a light that shines deeper and deeper into our soul and it's going to root out this sin that is constant in our life. And so we don't arrive. We never get to the point, but we should see progress. And then Paul asks for prayer. Pray for us. Pray for our ministry. Pray for the effort that we're putting into the kingdom on your behalf and on the behalf of all these other churches. And then he tells the leaders there to give the holy kiss. We do the holy handshake now. We don't, you know, especially after COVID, we don't do the holy kiss anymore. All right, the holy handshake, it's, it's this idea of affection, showing affection for one another. All right, so, uh, and he says, read this to everyone, and then that's it. The end, All right? Closes out very, very quickly. And so we've had this entire letter, this idea of, you know, we should always come to the end of it and say, hey, what, what should we do with this? How does this apply to us? Well, number one, how well do you love, respect, and honor your church leaders? Like, can you be led? Are you someone who is leadable? I'm sure you've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right? So are you leadable? This means that you can provide someone with an opportunity, but you can't make them do what they don't want to do. Uh, so do you already know it all? I mean, is there anything that I, that I can teach you? Because, you know, yeah, I got that. I don't, need, I don't need you to explain that to me. I don't need that Bible study. I don't need that time in prayer. I don't need any of that. I've got all that, I've got all that nailed. Do you think that certain things don't apply to you? Right? I mean, I've had conversations with people that you call out sin. And you're like, yeah, I don't think that means that same thing for me. 
So it means that for every other person in the world, but not for you. Now, you're, you're not the one that needs to cut that out of your life, but everybody else should. That doesn't make sense. So if, if that's you, if that's how you are, then no matter how much your church leaders try to lead you, no matter how much we plead with you, if there's, if there's nothing to be done, if we can't speak to you, there's very little that we can lead in your life. Are you leadable? Uh, will you be admonished? Right? Are you willing to open up your life so that we can look in and see, hey, I, I see this. This doesn't, this doesn't honor God. You should stop that. Will you accept that? Are you, can, can someone call you out on your sin without you becoming so offended that you would leave and never come back? I mean, I, it's happened. You speak truth into someone's life, they get so upset that you would call them out on their sin that they would just leave. Right? Are you mature enough to hear a rebuke and respond accordingly. Can you do that? Right, do, do you love the church through practical action and love? Right, if you're looking for a practical action, just 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 28 shows exactly how you can love the church well. Romans chapter 12 shows you how you can love the church well. Look at these things and see how you can engage the church with this part of your life. Are you actively pursuing action to show the church that you love it and lastly do you love god well with your actions and your attitudes right it's so easy for us to take our experiences and to make those primary in our life to excuse away these well i shouldn't have to rejoice always i shouldn't give thanks always because this is hard. This is difficult for me. Right? But what did, what did Paul say? He said to rejoice always, to give thanks always. And so when our life doesn't match up to what the Bible says that we're supposed to do, then we need to fight to conform our lives to what Scripture says. Are you willing to do that? Do you give thanks in all circumstances? Do you pray constantly? If not, what would need to come out of your life? What mindset would need to change for you so that you would see the value of that and pursue after that? And in that, you would love God well. What, what in this rings a bell for you? There was a lot, right? There was a lot that you could do. And I would highly recommend find one, pick one, choose that one, and work on that one. Because we can easily be overwhelmed. There's like 15 things on this list that Paul's telling these people to do. I'm not telling you to do all 15. Pick one. Get better with that one this week. Right? Love someone better this week. Give thanks better this week. Whatever it is that is the most meaningful for you this week, pick that one and do that. And if you need help with it, let me know. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for your word. I'm grateful for how it speaks into our life and how it if we will allow it, if we'll dig into it, it leaves no stone unturned for us. If we, if we read it and apply it, then we're guaranteed to be more like Jesus. And I pray that we would be people who desire that, that we would take all the things that are uncomfortable in that and then we would expose it and we would present it to you and we would not care any longer about the difficulty of it, that we would strive to be more holy. We would strive to be more loving. We would strive to be a better servant. We would strive to be more generous. 
Lord, help us to see where we lack. Help us to not be discouraged by that, but to, to see it as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to serve you well. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would change us as only he can. I ask this in your son's precious name. Amen.